Hello and welcome to the Ray Show Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Ray, and it is so good to be back with you all on a weekly basis. Um, we've got a hell of a show for you today, but I wanted to just, at the beginning, let you know, thank you so much for all the, the uh, amazing feedback, all the downloads, all the messages for the Dave Windorf episode. It truly, truly warmed the cackles of my blackened heart to uh, see the response to that, and uh, Dave was so so nice to uh, sit with us as long as he did, and uh, thank thanks for listening to it. It meant a lot to us. And and speaking of the Ratio Podcast, today we have Kira from Black Flag and Dose, and fortunate for us now, finally, a solo artist. Yep, she has her debut album, Kira, coming out on. October 19th and it is amazing I mean there's just nothing nothing short of amazing about this record and Kira uh, we'll get to that chat in just a second um, but just want to let you know we've got all kinds of good episodes coming at you this month a few curveballs for you and uh, you know it's going to be a fun rest of the year and then leading into uh, 2022 um we are shooting a Ratio Podcast promo video this week that will be hopefully to you by about the 20th of October. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And uh, without further ado, let's get to the amazing Kira. Johnny Ray, back with the Ratio Podcast. And Iconic doesn't even come close to describing the very special guest that we are fortunate enough to have on the show today. Please welcome bass player, sound editor, dog mom, loving wife, and loner, Kira. <laughs> Thank you so much, Johnny, for having me. Hey, it's, it's, it's an honor to have you, uh, to be speaking with you. How's the, how's your, how's the day treating you? The day is treating me well. It has been a busy one, but a productive one, I would say. Well, that's always a win. So, uh, well, well, today we will be discussing Kira's self-titled debut solo album, which will be released October 19th on Kitten Robot Records. So I'm sure what jumps out from that statement is that, that this is your debut solo album. I mean, the question is stock, I know, but, but what made you decide to release this collection of songs in this space and time? Um, it's a good question, actually. So, so my, um, I mean, basically, at any given time, I have 20 songs in the works that I um, are in various stages of completion. And, and this is just sort of my way is to, um, to create music and to do it in sort of a virtual way, a lot of work alone in my room, sending the songs to others then to maybe, you know, have them put something on it and then finishing them at Kitten Robot Studio with my brother Paul. So um, so the plan was never to actually necessarily put out a record. Um, he, had, he had asked me more than once, you know, do you ever think about putting a bow around any of this stuff? Because we had we have done a good body of work, but um, it never necessarily appealed to me to do that until some for some reason this year, he came to me and he said, look, Kitten Robot has a label and they, and they want to put out your solo record and I, I I guess it's because I turned 60 this year and and because this record which is telling a story 
I kind of needed to get a little distance from some of the aspects of the story. And, and anyway, when he said, you know, solo record, I could see this group of songs telling, telling this story and, and doing it at 60, just, it's just felt right. I, my life has been like this. Things sort of happen for me in a way where I, I jump on them when something falls into my lap and this seemingly has fallen into my lap. <laughs> That's what it, for the better of all of us. Um, well, thank you. well uh, your process for this record, that just sounds like a perfect storm of creativity and, and you see, as you said, you write these alone in your room and then invite your friends to add little uh, musical bits, you know, virtually. Are there any guests that, that you want to highlight on this record that, that, uh, that you want to mention specifically? Well, all of the contributors are amazing. Um, so my the drummer who plays on this record, Dave Bach, is somehow able to take this very delicate music and not ride roughshod over it with his drums but rather be very delicate and and contribute in a way that I don't I'm not sure any other drummer could could do so so bless his heart and then um the guitar player Glenn Brown is someone I've known since I was literally in possibly elementary school but definitely junior high oh, wow. he's a friend of my brother's going way back and and he and i were in bands together during the early punk rock days but way before i was uh i joined black flag he was in my first few punk rock bands he was he taught me a lot about just playing rock music and um and he too has a very dense delicate sensibility when it comes to my weirdo music uh, and um and then of course petra hayden who is an artist um that if you haven't heard her you should hear more of her she she has done things like put out the who sells out record and did the whole thing every single instrument with her voice oh god that sounds so amazing <laughs> she's an incredible acapella vocalist but she also plays violin on this song uh, on this record and she has that uh, innate ability to tap into the emotion and uh of the song and and play a violin part that just you know literally makes it and she sings uh on this record as well so um so please check out the Hayden triplets, check out her stuff because Absolutely. she, she will blow your mind any day of the week. And then of course, my brother who I've known since the day I was born, <laughs> he is my older brother. Um, he has influenced every aspect of me, including the fact that I got interested in music really at all. And that I got into punk rock at all. And, um, and he, our relationship has evolved so well that he is now the, you know, sort of the most important person to to play these songs as they start to get past just little ideas and, and help me figure out how to bring them to some kind of complete state. Does it need another element? Is it is it right the way it is? And and some of the mixing uh delicate mixing and editing and and paul's music is extremely lush and layered so it's pretty different from my music but in that way he's a good 
person to to play stuff for because he will say well should we do this should we add that and i then act as editor and say no yes no let's take more of this out you know that's got to be so special having family right there in the room with you and and such an influence on your life i mean do you remember any of the first records he gave you that that kind of turned you on to music where you saw his sensibility well, he, it's funny when we were, you know, when we were really young, we actually had kind of different tastes and, um, and he got into sort of progressive rock when I was in junior high, um, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, yes, Death Row Tull, you know, bands like that. And, um, and I, on the other hand, was listening to the Rolling Stones and David Bowie, um, yes. more, um, <laughs> but, uh, he had this progressive rock band he was doing and they needed a bass player. And that is why I initially picked up the bass. We, we had both learned classical piano as kids, but I had quit in frustration because I'm a terrible competitive fool. (laughs) (laughs) um, But, uh, but he needed a bass player. So I borrowed a bass and started practicing really hard because the music was really complicated. And, um, and by the time I was any good, at all uh, the progressive rock band was gone and he had gotten into punk rock which suited me fine because i wasn't good enough anyway to be in a progressive rock band and and punk rock i think suited me and my personality better i was a really miserable teenager (laughs) (laughs) as we all were (laughs) and the and the anger and the you know the angst uh, of of the punk rock thing you know appealed a great deal so yeah, I've been following him. You know, I followed him to punk rock gigs. I followed him into music. I uh, and then I chose not to follow him in other ways. He he had some kids and 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 stayed true to a in a sense a sort of a starving artist mentality. I'm not going to get a straight job. I'm not going to do that. And and watching him do that, I it became very clear to me that I I couldn't see myself doing that exact thing that um that trying to survive in the music world like to me the music was almost too precious and had to be kept separate from trying to earn a living so so i made that separation um and but again it was educated by my relationship with paul so so just every aspect of my life has been you know right right well you know, there's there's so much we can discuss. I want to get into the meat of the record for a little bit. Um, you take like about three minutes into the first song on the album, Silently. There's this vulnerable joy kind of released. I can't even really describe it. Uh, almost an acceptance to your surroundings. I mean, it's like the perfect kickoff thematically, I almost feel like, to the record. Was Silently one of the first songs you, you wrote? for this collection of songs or it was yes absolutely it is a chronological story and it was written about 13 years ago and as you say there is it is well it's a story of love and loss Mm -hmm. and and silently is 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 the is in a sense a celebration of the connection um that i was feeling and yet somewhat captures also the the pain of separation from the one you love, even if it's just for the work day, you know, right. that, that having to walk away from, from where you want to be and, and, 
and seeing uh, seeing both of you separate. Uh, and yet, and yet it, as you said, celebrates the, the love between us, you know, so, so, so absolutely correct. It was the first, uh, and it, that may be one of the more joyous songs, although joy doesn't tend to creep in that much. Well, you know, I, I, I think it's all about how you look at it. And I feel like, you know, there's a, there's definitely, uh, you know, the record gets downright brutal, as we'll talk about in a minute, in a beautiful way. Um, but that joy moves into a, you know, the second song, Avoiding, and mm-hmm. it, it with almost a playfulness. I mean, the strings, the variety of vocal choices you're making, um, it just it just hits you so hard that it that avoiding maybe is not only always a bad thing if you put that time <laughs> if you put that time to good use. Well, um, the interesting thing about that song, it is the one song that was co-written by Petra Hayden, and I think her influence on it does, it's evident. It, it does have, it has a bit of push me, pull you kind of effect of um, of trying to find uh, some joy. And, and also, literally in the singing, her, her part uh, is not singing about avoiding. Right. My vocal lines are so so it is capturing in some ways you know completely separate perspectives on the same thing right 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 and it's 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 dazzling to hear with with all the different just i mean there's so many choices there especially when you get going with it to like the core whatever i would you would consider the chorus i mean it's just a beautiful (laughs) uh beautiful beautiful song and i it takes, you know, that moves into trance and kind of what I was talking about with the sentiment of how it hit me um, was that idea of checked out for now, checked out for a moment. That lyric, almost I feel like you're getting across, hey, I'm still here. I'm just figuring some some things out. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel like, you know, I could be way off base here, but it's there's something very empowering about those three songs that I feel like prepares you for the rest of the record. Well, look, I, I mean, when I when I write music, I'm expressing something. Obviously, I'm expressing myself. It's very personal, and yet, I'm, what I'm hoping to do, of course, is to have you feel what you feel that that is only from how you see the world. And so, of course, you you interpret it how you interpret it. But but if you connect into it then it's magic and it doesn't have to be that that you connect to exactly where I was when I wrote the song. It's almost better if it's a more universal feeling. Yes. Yes. And I mean, you're capturing that so amazing on this record, just from this conversation where we're, how these songs, you know, the life these songs have taken. Um, and you know, you talk about dark minimalism, you know, you say you, you <laughs> practice dark minimalism in your music and, you know, that space creates so many, you know, uh, stories in your head, so many possibilities. Would you would you care to talk about that a little bit? Well, I, um, I just recently sort of feel like I've come to get a glimpse of, of how I got here in terms of why I celebrate the spaces, why I, I leave the holes. I, I've been... I've been playing with my now ex-husband Mike Watt for many years in a band called Dose, which Absolutely. is just two two bass guitars, right? And and I sing some. And so 
the experience with Mike on stage and then trying to do what we have been known to do, which is cover a song like a Billie Holiday song with, with incredible emotion behind it and, and, and yet have that very stripped down musical effect. And the emotion I would feel singing these, you know, very emotional, moving songs in the space of a gig, you know, where sometimes you could hear a pin drop. And and I felt like like that open space and that emptiness really supported this, the feelings, you know, that the feelings could be felt more because it wasn't being layered it was just out there naked the voice was somewhat on its own with the basses which are obviously you know much lower register um not really supporting the voice the voice is almost left on its own and I think that somewhere along the line that I started to really believe that you know that for me you know expressing those emotions there has to be enough room for the feeling it's almost like you're leaving the spaces in the halls are where the feeling sits right oh man i wow yes <laughs> yeah you know take take a song like unsolicited advice okay that minor chord when that thing hits it just punches me in the gut and that space what you just mentioned leaving room for the emotion it's 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 almost overwhelming on that song. Um, it's so cool that you were able to feel it because you know you you never know. I mean, when I put this record together and, and I sort of sat down with the label guys and I said, "Look, it's this is not going to sell a lot of records. You know, <laughs> under, understand that this is weird music and that it isn't going to necessarily appeal to everyone." And and they fully supported and understood that. You know, um, so but it's really cool that you connect. Well, you know, it just brings up a lot of images like that last song. Like I was I was trying to think, why is this reminding me? And it just kind of hit me when I was watching a movie the other night. It was like it's like a soundtrack to the best pre-code film noir film that was never made. You know, it just has <laughs> like I could see like Humphrey Bogart and Carol Lombard like <laughs> playing through this 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 song. You know, and I mean, there's just the ghost. I mean, that's chilling. It's so beautiful. There's just so much on this record. And I, I think you should be really proud of the emotion that you've got across on this album and these songs. I mean, uh, not to embarrass you in any way. <laughs> well, I'm proud when I talk to someone who who felt it, you know, right. and, and, and you're helping me feel some of that pride and some of that um and own it a little bit because because that's all i've ever done with music that's all i listen to music for is to feel something and i can feel it's, it's okay if it's anger if it's rage that's fine you know just just make me feel something right right well uh, take us back a little bit in time when you first joined black flag you are already a veteran in that music scene and, and juggling a demanding academic schedule what was your mindset at that time i mean where was your head at well i i mean the punk rock scene was small right i knew black flag i had seen all the incarnations and uh and they had seen me play in bands and and i was well aware of their approach of their touring schedule of their intensity um so there wasn't any 
surprise in terms of what, if I was going to join this band, which was my favorite band at the time, um, it's not like I was caught off guard. I knew I was making a, a very big uh, commitment. And, and I asked if they would work around my school schedule only because I was so far into you know, I was three years into a four-year degree, so I was like, I can, I can do this. I can, I can take breaks, you know, tour, and I can just finish it up, and and both can happen, you know. And I, I convinced myself that this was possible. Um, so my mindset was just, you know, I, I have to do it, and I have to do it all the way, and I ha- can't ever let them show. I can't ever show weakness, but also, um, I have to finish this thing I started. Well, how much, how long did it take you to, to finish that degree? Did you do it in that year or did you, did it take you a number no, of years? No, no. no it took me about two years to complete my final year. As a matter of fact, I, I, I did my last quarter at UCLA after I was thrown out of the band in 1985. Wow. So it, was, it took a couple of years to get through it because I, there were, there were huge breaks to, um, to tour and that. You know, and I'm happy to do so. Like I said, I just needed to keep pushing it along. But I, you know, I knew I was going to have to take breaks in order to support the rigorous touring schedule. Right, right. Well, well. speaking of one more aspect, another aspect of your professional career, I, I work at an amazing art house theater here in Athens, Georgia called Cine. And we started doing a drive-in this summer. And one of our biggest nights was Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> I mean, just a beautiful night and you know what was it like being a part of that sound editing team on that new classic um it was a, an amazing experience for a lot of reasons for for one thing the project is as far as a post schedule post sound schedule was very long and it, it actually was, had been going on for some time before i was brought on board um and most of the crew was Australian. It was being done in Australia. Um, George Miller, George the director, Miller, yeah. Australian. And, and so this was happening in Sydney. And there were a couple of uh, mixers who had come over from Los Angeles. And at a certain point in the project, they decided to bring myself and another uh sort of sound effects based supervisor guy and we flew across at the same time to kind of help try to to finish this monster project so we so i flew to sydney and worked there for for six weeks initially and we um completed quote unquote a version let's say of the sound job and then um and and that and that had to complete at a certain point and um being in sydney it was i mean i'd never get to go if it weren't like someone brought me there right so so it's just amazing to be there and kind of be living there and be exposed to the culture in that way and working with australian people who were uh, amazing and very good at what they did and um but also just working with ridiculously long hours and and not really getting a chance to experience that much of Sydney. Um, So then they asked if I would come back. Uh, I went home for two and a half weeks and then, and then went back for another six weeks to work directly with the director on the ADR, uh, which is the sort of studio recorded dialogue, which is in that movie, a good proportion like, 80 
0.5% maybe wow. is uh, ADR for various reasons, some of which is uh, technical issues because of, you know, the fact that you had vehicles and you had um, stunt people and all of that going on. Um, but also the director, George, is, had been uh, animated guy. He did the Happy Feet series. He did Babe. So he had done all of this work an animator and he truly believed that he could improve on performances in a lot of cases by doing the ADR. So we had, but he wanted to go through all of the ADR, which he recorded a massive amount uh, and basically recut most everything. And he and I worked very closely together uh, for six weeks, just, uh, just reworking that, which of course was an amazing experience to work with a man who had been, you know, so pivotal in the film industry, but again was a brutal schedule. And, and he's an incredibly driven person, and and we had a lot to get through, right? So so it was also, I think I had four days off total in the ten weeks wow. I was in Sydney, <laughs> and I made use of of three of them. I think I I went whale watching on one. I went to the zoo on one. I you know I did. I did make use of the days off, but um, for the most part, I was working and living in uh, in Sydney. So the, the the work experience was very intense. The 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 people, the culture, all of it, um, and then of course the project itself was something I thought was really interesting and lush and cool. And the and the music in it is really intense and, and and the sound effects i mean just every element of the sound job was so cool and the and the visuals obviously themselves i mean it was just one of those projects you could sink your teeth into and absolutely as far as you wanted to you know yeah. so um so i can't say enough about it i was so proud to get to do it um Oh, it's a masterpiece. I mean, watching it, I hadn't seen it since it came out. My mother had passed away, I think, two weeks before it came out, and I got just kind of put in the theater, like, get out of the house for a little bit. So I was kind of yeah. numb to it. When I watched it uh, at the theater, the uh, at the drive-in, it was so intense that I, mean, I just had to stop what I was doing at some points. And like you say, it just commands your attention. And it really is a masterpiece. I, I, I can't say enough about that. And Oh, and I, I totally love it, too. Um, but before we get, uh, just got a few more questions for you, but we've got a couple of listener questions. If we could get those in, of um, course. alrighty. Uh, Eric from Athens, Georgia via the Bay area asks, he wants to know the story about the, the blue Rick, the blue Rickenbacker, uh, getting stolen and how you got it back. Fair enough. Although I'm going to have to make a correction. It was not a Rickenbacker. So ah. the base, the the base is the amazing base, which is a custom-made base, is something that Mike Watt had designed based on the Rickenbacker layout in the sense that it had uh, the neck runs through the body. It has the basic shape of a Rickenbacker. But then he said, well, I don't, I don't think that the, it's, the tuning peg should be on both sides, like on the Rickenbacker. So he made it basically have a Telecaster headstock. It doesn't look anything like any wow. other bass guitar. <laughs> it's also, it's three quarter scale, which was the main reason he had it made for me because uh, as I got older, as he got older, we were, he thought playing a smaller bass made sense. I call it my old lady bass. So, <laughs> 
so it's lighter. It also um, is lighter. It's smaller. It also sounds better than any bass I've ever heard, uh, coincidentally, almost. Um, so this uh, this bass was at my home. My home was broken into while I was at work. Uh, it was stolen along with a bunch of other items uh, from my home. And then I uh, I was working at the time at Universal uh, Lot, the Universal Studio Lot, uh, where we were working on a, a, a movie there. And the, uh, one of the execs there is sort of a music buff. And he knew he knew how much my guitar meant to me and I was a basket case and oh. he and he said give me a picture so I gave him a picture and he turned that over to the head of security at Universal who was a former police officer and he, this man sent that picture to guitar centers and various music stores with in mind that you know somebody might try to sell it and I got a call about 10 days, after, literally 10 days after it was stolen from the guy I worked with. And he said, have you got your base back? And I said, no. And he said, uh, well, you should call the Northridge police station. They have your base. Oh. So it turns out that um, somebody had literally, it, this is how wild it was. The guy who was working at guitar center which is a, a chain you know guitar store yeah. he he literally had been transferred to the Northridge shop for one day and he had seen the picture and this guy walks in with that bass and he recognizes it from the having seen it at the other guitar center the one on sunset maybe he had no he it's, it's on ventura boulevard okay. in sherman Oaks. okay and he um he recognized it and he told the guy, I have to take a picture of your driver's license, which is standard procedure if you want to sell something, especially at a chain like this. Um, so he took the guy's driver's license. He goes in the back and the guy runs away and leaves the base. And the, and the guitar wow. center guy calls the cops. And, um, and I walk into the police station and... Um, the guy, you know, tell the guy, and he, he comes out, and he has the bass in, in his hands, and I just start crying. And he says, you know, I usually try to get some proof that it's your guitar, but I, but I think it's clear that it's your guitar. <laughs> and he hands it to me. And um, and so 10 days after it was stolen, I got it back. I never got anything else back. I have no idea. The guy never got in trouble because they couldn't prove you know, it was like possession of stolen goods, maybe, but they couldn't prove that he had broken into my house. But um, there you have it. Hey, I well, my bit. That's a, that's a happy ending to a to a pretty perilous story there, uh, which you know I'm sure, especially in Los Angeles, that just doesn't happen. <laughs> no, I mean I had completely given up so much to the point that I had called the guy who made the base, and he had started to make another one, and I now have a blonde version of the same base because he had already started work and I didn't I wasn't going to tell him never mind you know so I, I he went ahead and completed the, the a second one 
But um, the funny thing about guitars is they all sound different, and the blue one's still the most amazing bass I've ever heard. The blonde one sounds really good, but it, it doesn't sound quite as good. And I used it to record on the record, and I uh, use it for most anything I can do. Well, it sounds amazing, uh, especially on the record. And I'm so glad you got it back. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I've got another question. David from Athens, Georgia asks, what are your thoughts on playing with Anthony Martinez versus playing with Bill Stevenson, both monster drummers with very different styles? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so um, Bill, uh, Bill is uh, an amazing drummer, and is he has that ability to capture the aspect of Black Flag that is we're trying to be as heavy as any heavy uh, that you can imagine. Um, but we're trying to obviously play sometimes at, at speeds that, are, that don't allow for that. If you, you can imagine yourself like swinging a hammer, right? Like if you're trying to swing a hammer really fast, you'd have to lighten up how hard you hit, right? Right, right. So, so but, but we tackled that problem and, and we would start very slow and try to retain the heaviness, retain how hard we were hitting as we sped up. And Bill was just a master at capturing that heaviness, regardless of how fast some of the stuff got. Um, so, you know, I have nothing but but admiration for that man and everything that he's done. Um, now, Anthony came along and with like two weeks prep to go on a tour um, he had a, as you say, a very different style. It was not necessarily, didn't necessarily capture the heaviness. He had a, a sort of energy buzz kind of a style that um, I frankly spent most of the first few weeks of the tour trying to hold him back. He was like a, you know, a galloping horse that you were literally pulling back on the reins the whole time because I was trying to maintain heaviness <laughs> and he was just like a, a a galloping horse. So it was a different um it was a different effect. He had the effect of of making everything feel like it was going a million miles an hour. <clears throat> but um but my goal was still to retain heaviness. So we were almost in a, in a bit of a battle, he and I, for, for weeks and weeks and, until he, he sort of, you know, got into his own. But he didn't have time before the tour. So we did this live night after night, you know, learning to um, contain the energy enough to, to start uh, digging in. But by the time we recorded, like, who's got the 10 and a half, the, the live record from 85, I think he had captured some elements of the heaviness, but it did take some time and, and it, was, it was a fascinating journey getting there. That's, I, that's, that's so amazing to hear about both of them and, and just you having to do that on stage by not having the time, you know, to, to adjust really properly each other no but uh, no I, I think i crushed my uh my base against the amp more than once um just in frustration because it hurts to try to hold back a drummer it yeah. literally would hurt to try to you know play as fast as he was but ho almost try to hold him back it's very very challenging um but uh 
but you know there was so much great stuff there so you just had to um yeah you just have to roll with it you can't you have to take what they're offering and and find a um find a way (laughs) and the way with the way with him was to stand up in your stirrups and pull back and the way with bill was was not that way i didn't have to hold him back he was the epitome of heaviness so it's it's an interesting uh conundrum and 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 they both have uh, you know amazing sound on some of these recordings so right right well i know we we talked before we started recording you you had uh we record from out out, out of athens georgia and mm-hmm. um uh, do you have any recollections of coming through the town on tour or any stories you'd like to pass on to us about our little town? I have a story that I, that isn't exactly what you're expecting, potentially, <laughs> but I'm almost positive this happened in Athens, Georgia. So um, the Minutemen opened for R.E.M. on a, on a tour, and, and Kira flew out and joined the Minutemen for a few days and i'm certain it was in athens that uh there was this gig scheduled obviously it was rem that was a pretty big gig right oh yeah so we were backstage at this gig and um and mike and d boone are having a fight (laughs) and they are not speaking to each other (laughs) they're in separate rooms backstage and and they're they need to go on (laughs) and (laughs) And that's my most vivid memory of Athens, Georgia. Oh, wow. I was literally standing there going, are they going to play? Right, right. Oh, <laughs> Is that's... this going to happen? You know, I mean, it was a big deal, right, for them. They weren't, you know, they weren't nearly as big as Ariane. They were the opening band. They had to, they had to play. You guys got to stop this. <laughs> and the funny thing about these guys is they loved each other so dearly. They were so unconditional love. There was no question about whether or not Mike and Dee Boom were going to make up, but but right in that moment, they were in this <laughs> massive fight over nothing at all, right? Oh. Anyway, uh, so that's my, that's my story. That's Adam. golden. That's a golden memory right there. I'll tell you, thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> Uh, and you know what? That's uh, thank you for giving so much of your time to us this afternoon. And you know the record, your self-titled debut solo album, it's coming out on October nineteenth. Everybody on Kitten Robot Records, and yes, uh, make sure you get it. Make sure you listen to it because it's 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 amazing and it's really a, 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 a an amazing journey. I mean, for lack of a better word. Um, is there anything you'd like so much, Johnny? Thank you. Is is there anything you'd like to plug or any, uh, anything you'd like to mention here before we go? I no. you have been so generous and, and supporting the record and, and Hey, you know, I just say to people, if you, if you want to go down this emotional (laughs) rabbit hole, please do, because I love sharing it. So thank you so much for having me, Johnny. Thank you so much for being on the show, Kara course how cool was she oh my gosh uh it was such an honor to speak with her uh and to hear about this record and to go down deep into the songs and and definitely make sure to pick this one up it's it's a really special record and uh, it's it's something that really gets under your skin in a good way 
And that's our show for this week, but we will see you next week. Stay switched on, and we'll talk to you soon.